you would turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. As we continue our series of what it means to be like Christ, to, to grow into Christ-likeness, today we're going to consider being complete in Christ. The uh, multi-millionaire William Randolph Hearst once read of uh, an extremely valuable piece of art which he decided he must have for his extensive collection. He instructed his agent to scour the galleries of the world to find the masterpiece as he was determined to have it at any price. After many months of painstaking search, the agent reported that the piece already belonged to Mr. Hurst, and he had stored it in one of his warehouses for many years. How tragic it is that we forget the treasures that we have, even more so as believers if we do not realize the treasures that we already possess in Christ, that we are indeed complete in Christ. And that is the, the message here of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if we are to grow into Christ-likeness, to become more and more like Him, then we must have a very personal and practical conviction that we are complete in Christ, that there is nothing outside of Christ that we need to make us more like Him. In fact, it's all found in Him. And if we are complete in him, we have all that we need. In this first section of your outline, notice it says uh, we are complete in Christ because we are in him. If you look at those first seven items listed there, and you notice the blanks, just, just read it for a moment without the, without the words filled in the blank. And what do you get? We are in him. We are in him. We are in Him. We are in Him. We need to keep thinking of that. We are in Him. Now, as a bonus of being in Him, we have all these other descriptive words which I'll share with you in a moment. But never forget that the basis for it all is that we are in Him. You see, for a believer, the moment they come to Christ, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says that we are placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are placed into the body of Christ we, we have a mystical eternal union with Christ forever from the moment of salvation on we are in him so what we need to try to understand is what does that mean for us and we're, we'll just look briefly at these seven in fact these uh, seven items I'm going to list for you would make a great daily devotional for your next week Take one of these each day and look at it in a little bit more depth. Contemplate, meditate on it, read the verses. Um, ask God to show you what it means for you each day. And uh, unusual for me, I'm not going to go into any depth here on these things, but I'm really more intentionally after the breadth of the, what it means to be in Christ. To see how many different ways that does apply to us. Even here from Ephesians chapter 1. So we'll be looking at Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 13. 
First of all, we are blessed in him. Verse 3 says, we are blessed in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We already have every. There's not one single blessing that you could want that's lacking. We have every spiritual blessing already in Christ. It's in the heavenlies in Christ. And that's why we look for the things of heaven to satisfy the soul. We are blessed in him. Secondly, we are chosen in him. Verses 4 and uh, 5. Verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So just as he chose us in him, we are chosen in Christ. And that was even before the foundation of the world, chosen in Christ. Third, we are accepted in him. Verse 6 tells us, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. How do we get accepted into heaven? How do we get accepted by God? Because we are in Christ, we belong to him, and Christ is accepted, then we are accepted in him, in the beloved one. We are accepted in him. God the Father will never turn him away, and so he will never turn us away. We are secure in him. We are blessed, chosen, accepted, and forth we are redeemed in him. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption. Verse 10, we are united in him. That in the dispensation of the fullness of, of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. So united in Christ forever will be all the believers from every age and everything, uh, every angel in heaven, every part of creation that's redeemed will be in him forever. We are united in him. In fact, we are going to partake of this communion in a few moments. And the reason we do is because we are united together as a church body in him through his death and uh, resurrection. And so we realize what brings us together is the death of Christ, our Savior. We are united in him. Well, that's going to become all the more plain in eternity when we are united with other believers from all ages, all nations, united forever in him. Uh, next, we are heirs in him. Not A-I-R, but H-E-I-R-S. Heirs in him, verse 11. <clears throat> in him also we have obtained an inheritance. 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And you might think, why should we get any inheritance? Well, there's no reason in us, of course, but it is according to the, uh, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the, his own will. Because God was pleased to make us co-heirs with Christ, as Romans 8 says. We are heirs in him. If you are in Christ, you are a joint heir with Christ. And it has yet to be revealed all the wonders that that means. And finally on this list, we are secure in him. We are secure in Christ. Verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, also having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Not only are we co-heirs with Christ, but that inheritance is secure in Christ. In him... After you heard the word of truth and you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So Christ seals you, seals your, your fate, seals your destiny in him forever by the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus says in John 10, no man can pluck my sheep out of my hand. And no one can take them out of the Father's hand. And they are, here we see, sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of the, when you get the inheritance, that day of redemption. So you are, we are secure in Him. We are blessed, chosen, accepted, redeemed, united, heirs, and secure in Him. We are complete because we are in Him. Now what more could you want than those things? And yet, Paul goes on to tell us more here in chapter 2. That is, we are complete because we are with him. In chapter 1, the key preposition there was in. In him, in whom, in Christ. Here, the key preposition is going to be with or together with in chapter 2. At first, there is a reminder of life without him. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else. That's who we are without Him. When we are not with Him and in Him, we are children of wrath. We follow the course of this world and the ruler of this world Satan and his ways we are sons of disobedience and totally lost 
But that just sets the stage for a reminder of the blessing of being with him. In verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we are, first of all, alive with him. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were made alive together with Christ. We saw that last week as we looked at the, what it means to be resurrected with Christ. That this is by, we, we are crucified with him. That we died with him, but we also are resurrected to newness of life in him. And so this is a reminder of that. We were dead. There's nothing that an unsaved person can do to resurrect themselves or to bring themselves back to life. A dead person doesn't do anything. A dead person can't do a single thing, much less save themselves. So even when we were dead, he brought these dead souls to life. He made us alive with him. Made us alive together with him. So we are identified with his being alive. And a reminder here that it's by grace that all of this was done. And then we are raised with him. Verse 6. Not only were we made alive but we uh, and raised up together. And made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised us up together. Now, you might think at first that this is talking about the resurrection, but I don't believe it is. You see, the resurrection is already implied in the previous one. We were made alive in him. And how do we have newness of life? Romans 6, 4, we were raised to newness of life in him. So when we are alive, we are raised to life. This resurrection is not... Um, Anastasius the, the, that kind of resurrection but this is ascension this is, this is literally being raised up in Acts 1 when, uh, when Jesus gave his final instructions to his disciples in, in verse 8 says that verse 9 and 10 that he was raised up before them and then they looked as he went up into the heavens that's called the ascension that's what I believe that this is referring to uh, in a metaphorical way we have been raised in that sense we already have been resurrected made alive verse 5 this is more like the ascension notice that it says here that he raised us up raised us up together um, by the way the raising and combined with the up also gives a clue that's not just resurrection but ascension he raised us up together and made us sit together where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So the ascension, where did he go? Into the heavenly places. So we are resurrected with him in a spiritual sense. We are also ascended with him. Uh, the importance of this is that this now enables us to view life not from a ground level perspective, not just earthly way of looking at life but from God's perspective from heaven's perspective to see life differently instead of just as an average human being who doesn't have a relationship with God can only see life on this planet and how we live and relate but a believer who is raised with Christ and ascended with him in this sense has a heavenly perspective and no, we're not physically there. But spiritually, it's as if we are already there. Notice this is a past tense. He raised us up together and made us sit together. Those are all past tense. So from God's perspective, that's done. So that we have the ability to look at life from God's point of view. And one of the ways we do that is through his word. The more we know his word, the more he tells us, here's how I see life. Here's what's important in life. And he does it by his spirit inside of us who enables us to understand and apply these things. The book of Ecclesiastes is a, some people think a depressing book because it's about emptiness, vanity, right? But the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who is probably Solomon, in those 12 chapters wrote 34 times Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity or emptiness under the sun. Under the sun. Under the sun. And I think the import of that is that if you only look at life from a ground level, you just look at, just get caught up in your daily life and job and troubles and so forth, you just look at life that way, it seems empty. Where is it all going? What's the purpose of it? What's the use of it? If you only see life from the ground level. But if you are able to be not under the sun, but take a heavenly perspective, which I think is what the challenge of Ecclesiastes is, then you can see, you can see life as God sees it and the things that are really worthwhile and worth investing in and worth doing and pursuing and the things that please God and the things that bring blessing to you and others then you can see those things and that's the importance here of not only being made alive but being raised up to this plateau this level this heavenly perspective that you can live a different kind of life now that you are raised up not only are we alive and raised up or ascended with him, but we are seated with him. The third thing, we are seated with him. It's also in verse 6. <clears throat> he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, for one thing, notice the repetition of the togethers here. Made us alive together with Christ in verse 5. Raised us up together in verse 6. Made us sit together in the heavenly places. And that's not just us, that we are together. That's part of it, because we are united forever. 
Every brother and sister in Christ is an eternal family. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me. We are brothers and sisters forever. But more importantly, we are together with Christ. You see, it's not just I'm going to see my, my mom in heaven. That's great. But I'm going to be together with him. It's with him. That's the big thing, you see. The others are just bonuses. Chocolate icing on the chocolate cake. They're bonuses. But it's with him. Together with him. And so we are seated with him. Again, this is past tense. From God wants us to see it this way. It's already done. It's not something you have to pursue. It's not something you have to try to gain, work for. This is something you have to accept. This is something you have to rely on. It's already true. But what does it mean to be seated together in the heavenly places in Christ? Well, I think there's a wonderful illustration of this back in John chapter 13. If you'd like to turn back there, please. John chapter 13. John 13 will begin um, the story at verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus is saying, in fact, he says a couple times in this passage that he is, that scripture is about to be fulfilled in these events. And here's one of them. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. In other words, I'm giving you this prophecy or reminding you of this prophecy that was made in the Old Testament so that when you see it happen, you know that I knew it was coming. I told you so that you can, you have confidence in me of who I am, that, that I'm telling you this truth, that you may believe that, that I am. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and who, he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He was talking to the twelve. One of you will betray me. Then the, the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, <clears throat> this is um, one of John's favorite ways to talk about himself, the Apostle John. One whom Jesus loved. I don't think he did it in a sense of, hey, he loved me and not you. 
but he did it in a sense of humility that he could never get over this fact that despite who he was, Jesus still loved him. Despite the sin that John had, Jesus still loved him. Despite that Jesus knew him inside and out, Jesus still loved him. And he can never get over that. Is this too amazing a truth whom Jesus loved? How can it be? And so they're, they're reclining for the last supper here. Now remember that in that, that custom, that time, they didn't have chairs like we do. They, they just sat or reclined at a long, low table. And, and they would just kind of sometimes lay on their side or whatever. And, and that was this kind of thing going on here. He was next to Jesus and leaning up against him. Leaning up against him and... Uh, then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spake whom he spoke now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke then leaning back on Jesus' breast he said to him Lord who is it Jesus answered it is he whom I give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, I know that often when we read this passage, we are so caught up in the treachery, the betrayal of it, and the Judas's part in here, and how could he, and so forth. But I, I want you to put that out of your mind for a moment, that part of it. I want you to focus in Picture in your mind Jesus and his 12 at the table reclining for the last supper that he is going to, to turn into the communion meal, the bread and the wine. And right next to him, leaning up against him, is John who's overwhelmed by the love of Christ and he leans back against them and he asks him this Question, which Jesus reveals to no one else. He asks him for revelation, and Jesus tells him. That spot, that moment is what I want you to capture. Seated with Christ. You see, what Paul is saying is that not only are you alive in him and raised up with him to be in the heavenly places but you are seated with him that you can lean against him against his bosom and you can lean all your weight upon him and you can ask him anything it is the place of intimacy and revelation And you already have that. You have that now. But perhaps you haven't been living like that or you haven't realized the closeness of the intimacy that Christ already has you in. He counts it to be true.
He wants you to live like that. We are seated with him. Now let's, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now several times Paul uses this idea of in the heavenly places. We've already seen it in chapter 1 verse 3 that he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So it's in that spot where we are seated with him that he blesses us. The spiritual life is not something we produce by works. It's something we receive by faith. Look at chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. I know it's in the middle of a sentence, but it's a long sentence, so we're going to break in anyways. Verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places and we are seated with him. That's the idea. That, verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And so we are safe in him in that spot above every power and might and dominion and name. Those are probably categories of demonic angels but don't have time to get into that now we also remember from last week as we looked at Colossians 1 if you therefore have been raised with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ is in the heavenly places so we are alive with him raised with him seated with him and finally we are blessed with with him verse 7 <clears throat> that meaning in order that this is a introduces a purpose statement that we are alive raised seated with him in order that in the ages to come he might show he might demonstrate to you in the exceeding riches of his grace his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is going to demonstrate forever how great his grace is toward us. You see, it's not just that grace gets us there, we arrive, whew, made it. But it's just beginning. It, when you arrive, that is, you're just walking in the door. That's just the beginning of it. He is going to take forever, for eternity, it's inexhaustible to demonstrate how great His grace is toward you. You have no idea how wonderful it is. But he is going to show it. He's going to demonstrate it to you. Oh, I can't wait for that. That is going to be amazing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, in this passage, notice that 
verses 1 through 3 give us the bad news. You know, this is who you are without Christ. This is your condition. Verses 4 through 7 tell us our condition with Christ. But I want you to notice key words that begin verse 4. This is the, the hinge verse between the, the bad and the good. But God. You see, verses 1 through 3 talk about us being in our lost condition, dead in sin, completely to rectify ourselves or resolve our sins. But God, who is rich in mercy. And that, those two words are repeated over and over in the Bible in some very uh, significant places. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that natural man cannot receive the things of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand God's word. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. But God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that we are all tempted but God will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able in Genesis 50 summarizing his life at the end of it Joseph looking back and told his brothers I know you meant this evil for me but God meant it for good to accomplish all that he has brought to pass this day over and over again we read but God, but God. If, if you can remember those two words, it will change your whole perspective. No matter what you're going through, but God. Yeah, it's really bad right now, but God. I lost my job, but God. I've got a bad health report, but God. But God. Finally, we are complete because he is complete. If you go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 6 through 10. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in the, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you or, or take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power we are complete because he is complete therefore verse 6 as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him. I think this verse, Colossians 2 6, summarizes the whole book of Galatians. Because it is about how you came to Christ and how you live for Christ now. 
How did we come to Christ? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did that happen? You had to recognize that you were sinful, that you were unable in your own. You had to recognize who Christ is, put your faith in Him alone, right? As you did that. Well, that's the secret to daily living in Christ. As you have, it's Greek students that as is a kathos, meaning not just host, but kathos, just as, the exact same way. Just as you received him, so walk in him. The walking has to do with how you daily live. That's how you live every day. You you admit that you can't do it on your own. You admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You admit you need God's working in your life. And you commit your life to Him. Every day is the same as the first day. As you have therefore received Him, so walk in Him. Next, we, we are rooted in Him. And built up in him. And established in the faith. As you were taught. Abounding with thanksgiving. But be careful. Verse 8 says. Beware. Be on guard. Lest anyone rob you. Or cheat you. Or take you captive. The Greek word there is the word for spoil. Take spoil. So it could mean take for captive. Lest anyone cheat you through the love of wisdom philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men men have all kinds of ideas all of them are bad according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and look at this last phrase and not according to Christ if it is anything that is not according to Christ, refuse it. If it is not according to Christ, Satan will have you believe anything in this world. He doesn't care what you believe as long as it is not according to Christ. Verse 9, For in Him, in Christ, dwells in bodily form. That is, in His human being, as Jesus came to earth, he was fully God as well as fully man. In him dwelt the, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Everything it meant to be God. If you could think of the, the attributes of God, and you could list them all. You would have to list, list them all under Jesus Christ as well. He is fully God. That's the idea. So he is complete and then verse 10, and you are complete in him. You're complete in him. If you're in him, you're complete. There's nothing outside of Christ that you need. Remember the opening story about William Randolph Hearst and his desire to have that painting at any price, and he already had it. Well, I think. We are often like that. We don't realize the treasure we already have in Christ. And the reason so many Christians are poor and anemic in their spiritual lives is that they do not understand or count on 
or realize what they already have in Christ. We can be like wealthy beggars, grounded eagles, like an eagle on the ground pecking in the dirt for worms, not realizing he can fly. He was meant to fly and soar in the heavenlies. We can be like that. But in Christ, we have everything that we need for our spiritual life. We already possess it, those treasures. We're going to partake of communion in just a moment. I'm going to ask the guys to come on up who are going to be serving that to prepare it. And as they do, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the things that we already possess, so many treasures that we are ignorant of. We pray that by your Spirit you would open our eyes to them and the depth of the treasures we have in Christ. Lord, keep us from seeking after other things which do not satisfy and which lead to disappointment. Help us to solely be focused upon you and everything that is according to Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.